So, hello and welcome to the first uh, PHP Town Hall group meeting. Um, this is going to be a podcast with myself and uh, Ben Edmonds, uh, and it, it kind of harks back to the old days of the Code Igniter Town Hall, when we used to, uh, some of the old Code Igniter old guard, like Michael Wales and Elliot Hoyne and Jamie Rumbelow, we'd all uh, we'd all have a couple of beers and have a bit of a chat about things that were going on in the community, um, or we'd at least try and, and start talking about things that were happening in the community, but we'd usually just get end up getting quite drunk, rant about stuff, and occasionally I'd show my ass on the video camera. Uh, but this this podcast is going to be somewhere where we talk about current things happening in the PHP community, uh, and every month me and Ben are going to try and get in a new guest um, to talk about some of the different things that they see happening or to, to help answer your questions. So this month we have Taylor Otwell from Laravel fame and fortune. What's up, Taylor? Hey, how's it going? Hey, not too bad. How are you? Good. And, uh, and of course, we've got Ben as well. What's up, guys? Uh, so what we're normally going to do is we're going to get in some questions. And we're going to try and do it live in the future, but we're, we're just starting off this time. Uh, we're going to try and get some questions in from people that listen to the podcast and, uh, and answer them the best we can. Um, so the, <laughs> the first questions we have from the, the tweet I put out earlier, Taylor, are when exactly is Laravel 4 coming out? Well, uh, if I knew exactly when it was going to come out, I would just tell everybody now. But unfortunately, I don't. It's kind of a when-it's-ready type of thing. Um, I can say that the code base is extremely close to being done, let's say 95%. But, you know, there's a lot of other things that go into releasing the framework, like updating the documentation and things like that. So getting all that straight is going to uh, require a little more time. Absolutely. That, that was mainly a bit of a silly question, but it's uh, it's very tough getting a getting a framework out. Um, what we're talking about Laravel 4, do you want to talk about some of the some of the things that you've been doing with it for people that might not know or for, for fans of Laravel 3 that haven't heard about Laravel 4? Sure. So in Laravel 4, um, one of the primary differences is we're using Composer exclusively to distribute um, what's called bundles in Laravel 3 and uh, all other packages as well. So all the components, so to speak, of Laravel 3, like the uh, database layer, the Eloquent ORM, the session layer, all of that is in separate components and available via Composer. And in theory, you could use any of them with any other framework. Um, but of course, they'll all work best as a cohesive package in Laravel. And uh, the Laravel framework itself will tie together all those components and um, just be a, a great uh, decoupled, awesome framework. Sweet. And I've been using uh, Laravel 4 with, with your own help. Uh, there's probably no way I would have got through it without you ha you being on Skype uh, for, for, for my every question and whim going, Taylor is broken, and, and you're fixing it. But uh, it's it's going very well so far. And, and using the whole composer packages means that um, it's really easy to tie in other features. Like we don't have this this old qualm where where you'd go, oh, no, my framework doesn't handle, you know, image handling in the way I want it. Or like, oh, I don't like the ORM. I'm going to switch to a whole new framework. You can just kind of switch it out. Um, so I've, I've really been enjoying, like, uh, it, it, the image upload stuff. I, I put out a blog post about it. Like, um, you haven't quite got the, the image validation. So you can't say, oh, this image has to be less than 5 megs and it has to be a PNG. But I can just put in one little line of code there and just say, I want to include this package and, and, and run it. Uh, run composer update and you know it's in there and it and it works yeah and and one thing i've seen is i'm in laravel 3 our bundles and i'm sure it's the same in code igniter sparks or something like fuel packages 
um, a lot of those things are just wrapping things that are already on Composer that they don't even need to exist as separate packages or whatever. If we're just using Composer directly, you know, it just saves a lot of those junk packages. Yeah, man. Like one of those things is the, uh, the AWS code, you know, the AWS SDK. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple of CodeIgniter sparks and CodeIgniter classes that have been posted up on wikis because that's how we do things in the future. <laughs> um, and those are, those are just like a really basic, you know, it's like one class that's got a function or a method that wraps another method in the AWS class. Yeah. Whereas using Composer, I can literally just directly include it and sure, they haven't quite up- upgraded to namespaces properly yet, and it's it's all using the class class map stuff. Yeah. But I can just put in one line in my Composer JS, and it and it automatically updates it. And one thing I've noticed while I've been working with Laravel four, and and you you know you you kind of you fixed a bug, and you said oh you want to you want to update this, and I and I run Composer update. I notice in the background it just says oh AWS has just upgraded from one point five point fourteen to one point five point fifteen. I'm like oh sweet, I've got a new bug fix version of AWS without even realizing it. My code's automatically more stable without any effort on my part. How cool is that? <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it's great too for, say you're upgrading your framework. You don't have to go in and replace the system folder. Now you just do Composer Update and boom, your framework's updated. Oh yeah, man. Like how, how many projects have you worked on where um, you've had 20, 30 different classes included. You've got SimplePy to handle your RSS. You've got AWS for some S3 upload shite from some sort of you know image cropping tool. You've got all these random tools available. And um, a year later, do you, do you know if they've got new updates to their code? Do you care? Have you been following their RSS feed or hoping you see a tweet from them mentioning they've got a new update? There's no way you can manage, like, is there new versions of this code or not without looking and spending most of your time looking. And the fact that you can just go, oh yeah, Composer update, see what's out there. Bang, I've got new code. So cool. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And why is it you think, this is one of the other tweets I had, uh, why PHP couldn't have only one dependency package system? Pair just works for me. I blame Phil Sturgeon, that promotes Composer. <laughs> Let's just take that one as a bit of a joke tweet. But why do you think uh, Composer is doing better than Pair? I'll send that one out to Ben, because I guess, Taylor, you haven't used Pair much, right? So the biggest things for me are that when Composer is popular now, and frameworks are really getting behind it, so you don't have, you know, 50 different ways of doing things for each framework. In the future, you're going to pull down a package from Composer, and it's going to work with any of the newer frameworks out there. And the next biggest thing is that it has updated packages. Half the time when you go on Pair, or even more than half the time, it's a five-year-old package that hasn't been updated since it was first loaded onto Pair. Right. But with Composer, it's hooked up to GitHub, and everyone updates their packages on GitHub. So as soon as there's new code out there, it's up on Composer, and it's ready to use. Yeah, another thing with Pair is, um, I mean, just Google how to install Pair, and you're going to get a ton of different tutorials just the, the ease of use of dropping in a composer file and, you know, you're ready to go is a lot better than pair in my opinion. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you can, you can install it system wide. So you have that, um, composer in your bin folder, uh, or you can, you can just grab that composer.far and, and just junk it straight into your application directory and run it from, you know, from the root. Um, the other, the other major difference for me is I think with, um, 
is is with how the repositories work. So in pair, the community was moderated, and to get applications live and into into the the main pair repository, it had to have a certain number of upvotes and a certain number of kind of I don't know exactly how it worked, but you had to get general peer approval before it would go live. So that meant that if you were some new developer that just made the most amazing new package that you know that, that anyone had ever seen, no one would know that it existed because no one had used it yet. So if you'd created a new package, no one would really be able to use it until you had up folks, and therefore people went, well, sod trying to get into the main one, I'm going to put it onto my, my own repository. So then you ended up with like 20 different repositories of, of all this different code. So instead of just having one location where someone could say, pair install X, You'd have to install. You'd have to notify Pair of the repository first, and then you'd have to install the code, which kind of ruins the entire idea of a package manager because you you don't know where the code is. Yeah. Uh, and and so far on Composer, um, pretty much everything seems to be on packages. Uh, you can make your own repositories, and I know that I know that Fuel and maybe you guys at Laravel might be doing this, but essentially. That some some people will be setting up their own some frameworks will be setting up their own repositories for framework specific code and then um sort of if it falls back to the main packages library as well for more global php code if that makes sense yeah yeah i'm not sure how we're going to do that one idea i've had is just to put laravel and the keywords on packages and then uh we can hit their json api to pull out all packages tagged with laravel so that's one idea I've had if we don't end up setting up our own repository. Yeah, that works, I guess. I mean, if you if you look at packages at the moment, there there is some really good code in there. There's a lot of really good packages in there. But like I swear eighty percent of the entire website is Symphony related bundles. Yeah. I think that's just because Symphony got in there first and it's it's made by not Symphony developers, but it's made by people with close ties to the Symphony community. So there's a lot of Symphony related stuff in there. Yeah, I check packages all the time. If I need to do something, I always check packages first, you know, to see if there's uh, a library already out there. Yeah, man. That's, uh, that, uh, so, so something I'm doing with Pyro CMS, uh, not the upcoming version 2.2, but with 2.3, uh, we're going to start really utilizing uh, packages. And um, we had a markdown library in there that was copied off a wiki somewhere, yay for us. And um, and I was looking at how to do it properly with 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 packages and Composer, and I just put in Markdown, and there were like five options, and there was Markdown and Markdown Extra and Markdown Super Plus Five, and and all these different op- options. Uh, so what you've got to do is put in a keyword for what you want, yeah. and there's something in there. Um, in the same, I was working on a project, uh, working on my my big super top secret project that I can't tell anyone about, Shh. and uh, I just had to find a, a Rabbit MQ plugin. And the the PHP extension sucks. I don't know if you've tried using it, but it just doesn't work. Um, and I put in RabbitMQ, and there was a, a PSR compatible package that that works perfectly out of the box. Just sat there on packages. You just put in a keyword, and you find the exact code you want. Yeah, that's awesome. So yeah, man, uh, that sounds pretty handy with the, with the other packages. But what packages have you been using whilst developing Laravel to make your life easier as a developer? So in Laravel 3, one thing that people might not know is that we already use the Symfony HTTP Foundation package, um, which takes care of a, lot of, of a lot of the boilerplate parsing of headers and the URI and uh, the request method and is this request AJAX, a lot of that stuff. And so we were already using that, and uh, you just can't really tell because 
it's abstracted away behind our own request class and kind of lays under the surface. But in Laravel 4, we've adopted several other components. We're uh, still using HTTP Foundation. We've brought in HTTP Kernel, which lets us do the functional testing on controllers using the uh, browser kit and, what's it called, CSS selector component. So that lets you do some awesome testing on your controllers. We also brought in the Symfony Translation component, which uh, uh, most people won't notice because it's you know it's still behind the usual Lang syntax, and you wouldn't really know that it's running Symfony under the hood. We also use Symfony Routing component uh, under the hood. Again, you wouldn't be able to tell that just by looking at it. Um, let's see, do we use anything else? We use... Uh, I guess that might be it for the Symfony stuff. And then uh, we have our own packages for, you know, the IOC container and the database and stuff like that. But leveraging those Symfony components has saved me so much time, you know, and not having to worry about, for instance, HTTP Foundation handles a lot of things, uh, you know, different servers pass different variables into the server array and just all that crazy stuff that I don't want to have to think about. And what it does is free me up to think about the things that actually set Laravel apart from other frameworks uh, like Symfony and uh, focus on the stuff that matters, so to speak. Absolutely, that's that's one thing that we had real trouble with uh, in the Codeigniter uh, field. I, I say we as a ex Codeigniter developer, whatever. Um, one thing was up until version two, it just couldn't handle get variables. Like it just couldn't, you could not read get variables from the URL, which is madness. Yeah. Um, but the, the trouble was like the, um, the, the URI class and the routing classes, uh, because there were so many different potential ways that it could read what URL you're calling and, and what get variables you're requesting and how you're trying to get from the URL to the actual classes. Uh, there was, you know, it can try and use the request URI server variable. It can use the path URI. It can use the orange path URI. There's all these different ways for different, you know, fast CGI setups and for, for mod PHP setups. There's all these different random combinations of of which server you have and which which uh variables you know which configuration since you have there's actually quite a lot of code that has to go into the, to working out what is going on just with a basic url reading right yeah and that's the exactly the kind of thing you know i don't want to have to worry about i just want to focus on uh the cool stuff so to speak you know eloquent orm blade all the stuff that kind of makes laravel unique in the php world because there's only one way to parse the uri you know the right and the wrong way <laughs> and so if i can leave that up to uh the symphony guys and who have, you know, more testers and more users, then I just kind of get to ride their their uh, coattail and some of that boilerplate stuff. Yeah, man. And that's one of the things I think is really, really important and interesting about the Symphony community is that Laravel is often compared to Codemotor quite closely, and I think for very good reasons in that they are both aimed at developers. Um, I don't want to say, like, I don't want to say a lower level that both frameworks are aimed at simplicity, right? Yeah. Um, and they're aimed at trying to give you a really simple and easy to understand interface that you don't have to be some sort of computer science doctorate genius to work out how the fuck they work. Um, with, with Symfony, a lot of the time it is built in the way that computer scientists would build a framework and you, there's a lot of dependency inter uh, injection and there's a lot of very complicated um, methodologies going into that. Now, as a as somebody who's been working with PHP for like ten years, I now see the the benefits of developing things the way that Symfony have developed them. But four or five years ago, or, or like ten years ago, 
eight years ago when I was getting involved in Code Igniter, I looked at Symphony and I was confused as fuck. I didn't know what they were doing. I didn't know why they were doing it. I didn't know why there was so much code involved just to get one simple thing to work. And I think that the very important thing that Laravel does is that it, it keeps the, um, the very simple interface that people are used to from the Code Igniter community, but it also kind of, it, it lays itself on top of the Symphony components and various other components um, in a way that you have the very complex, well-tested, you know, road-used, very hardened uh, underbelly, but you still get that simple interface. Is that kind of what you were going for? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think, like you said, Code Igniter and Laravel, it's not that they're for stupid people, so to speak, but they're just really user-friendly. And uh, I think, you know, you could lump a few other frameworks in that boat too. But um, the real challenge, you know, with Laravel 4 that I wanted to achieve was how can I have the simple syntax uh, on the surface combined with all of the power and flexibility of dependency injection and testability under the hood, uh, which, you know, we figured out ways to achieve. And uh, even though the syntax looks the same in Laravel 4 under the hood, a lot of more complex things are going on that you really don't have to worry about, but you still uh, reap the benefits of in your application uh, through the IOC container and, um, you know, injecting in dependencies where you don't really know that's happening. One of the great things is that it just makes it so simple. So you can jump in quick and work out a quick project without having to know the details, or you can dive in and make deep changes. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. If you, if, you know, and we'll have to document that, but if you do have the know-how, you know, you can tap into all that advanced stuff if you want to, or if you need to, uh, say you want to inject a different, I don't know, view implementation into a blade or something crazy like that. You can do pretty much whatever you want, you know, but at the same time, just use the same simple syntax if that's all you're interested in. Definitely. And um, one of the good examples of, of how that stuff works is um, with the request uh, request file. Uh, you know, when you're grabbing a, an uploaded file from the request class, which is obviously the, the Symfony HTTP request clo uh, code, um, that's just a instance of the Symfony HTTP request upload file class, right? Yeah. Um, so you get that instance back, uh, and then instantly any... The, the, the code I was working with, the upload validation stuff that I mentioned earlier, which validates that a file is five megabytes big and it's definitely a PNG and that sort of stuff. Um, that that class is aimed to work with Symfony, therefore it instantly works with Laravel because you've because you've layered your interface code on top of the Symfony code. Anything that works with Symfony, therefore instantly works with Laravel. Yeah, and that, that's another good example of kind of leveraging boilerplate with that uploaded file stuff is because, you know, getting the MIME type of that file, uh, you know, the correct MIME type by guessing it, you know, based on like the binary contents of the file, that's all Symfony stuff now. So we don't really have to worry about that. And we can let, you know, kind of bigger dogs uh, tackle that problem. Another great thing is that with Laravel 4, now you can use the Laravel components and other projects separately. Or you can use it in a Laravel project and still keep the same API you're used to with Laravel. Yeah, so in Laravel 4, uh, we have this concept of a facade, which is something I experimented with in uh, Laravel 3 and even back in the Laravel 2 days of trying to get it to work. But basically, when you call, for example, session colon colon git, you know, the static method git on session, it, you're actually calling a session facade, which in turn resolves the session class out of the IOC container and then calls the git instant met instance method 
on that class. So um, that's all, most of the time, that's only going to instantiate the class once, you know, so you're not going to go through that instantiation multiple times every time you call session. So it's still very fast. And uh, I've done lots of benchmarks on Laravel 4, and it, the speed is pretty much the same as Laravel 3. But, um, yeah, so those static methods, you kind of get the benefit of them without the uh, the testability problem, since under the hood, you're really hitting an instance that you could swap out in the IOC container anytime you needed to for a test. So uh, it's a little funky under the hood. You know, when you first look at it, it can be a little confusing, but um, on the surface, it's still going to be the same easy-to-use syntax that you're used to with the static methods. Yeah, it's it's awesome because pretty much the L3 docs still work for L4. It's not much has changed. Yeah, we, we really do. The API, you know, a lot of people have asked me, you know, is it going to be really hard to upgrade to Laravel 4? And honestly, a lot of the methods haven't changed. You know, a lot of stuff is the exact same. Maybe only a few spots uh, have a method named tweet, but I don't you know, on the surface, the changes aren't that big, even though under the hood, the changes are huge. You know, the biggest Laravel upgrade there's ever been. No, I, I can attest to that as well. I mean, I've never used Laravel 3. I kind of uh, had a poke around and went, yeah, it looks cool. But never got around to using it myself, obviously, being being a fuel PHP guy at the time. Um, and while I've been working on making this new application with Laravel 4, uh, most of the time I'm looking at the Laravel 3 documentation and uh, on the like four or five times I've gone Taylor is broke and and you've just said oh yeah I've, I've changed the method name <laughs> but it's only been a couple of it's been a couple of times and most of the time the documentation has actually helped get me through from Laravel three to four so it's not actually as big a big of a change as I was expecting that's it's quite impressive yeah definitely so this is like a quite a simple way to get around the issue where there's a lot of PHP developers mostly the computer sciencey types that just say never use static classes for anything never use static methods because you can test them they're evil they're bad um but the the kind of idea of facade is that you're you're just layering over a very simple little interface over the top of some fairly complex stuff underneath so the 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 underbelly is very well tested whereas the the kind of the facade stuff you might not be able to test that quite so much uh, but you know that the, the code that it represents is very well tested, right? Yeah, exactly. You're getting the best of both worlds. You're getting the uh, kind of, as we said, the computer science dependency injection uh, flexibility under the hood, and you're kind of getting to use the uh, uh, simple static syntax on the surface. And at any time, you know, with the session, you could just bind a new session instance into the IOC container, and now all your what looks like static method calls into the session class are using that mock or that, uh, you know, different session class. So you're getting a lot of flexibility or just the same amount of flexibility as if you were, uh, you know, dependency injecting everything manually. It's just all taken care of under the hood for you. Yeah, that stuff's really handy. I mean, this is one of the issues that we had in, in fuel PHP. Um, so, I talk about Kerdinator and Fuel PHP quite a lot because that's you know something I've been involved in. Um, but one of the the big jumps from Kerdinator to Kohana or Kerdinator to Fuel PHP is that people really liked the use of static classes. Yeah. Um, so the whole way through, instead of this session get, you'd have you know session colon colon get, and it, it just it seemed cleaner and it seemed better and easier. Um, but the issue with that is that as soon as um, I mean you can use those for your interfaces, using that for your facade is fine. But as soon as one of the classes that you're calling then calls one of those other classes through that same static interface there's no way to mock that i mean if if the session library called 
talks to the input library. That probably never happened. That's just a random uh, example off the top of my head. But if if um, static class A talks to static class B, there's no way for you to to mock the the um, the interaction with static class B because it's a static class. That's global code. It's just talking to it. There's no way to to fake that. So we had this whole lovely interface that was you know a little bit more PHP five ish. But you can't test that for shit. There's nothing you can do about it, and that's really frustrating. So having kind of the best of both, I think, really helps that. Yeah, I think it's going to be great. I've, um, you know, I I don't know how many people are going to use the um, technical underbelly, but definitely if you're trying to do any testing, you know, you're going to want to swap out the session class or even the redirect class or whatever with a mock, so you can make sure you're calling the right methods and. Uh, you know, if you're not testing anything, you just kind of uh, go along happily as you were, I guess. <laughs> I, I don't think that matters. I mean, um, how, like, what percentage of the CodeNighter community would you suppose had ever looked at the complete core? Like, how many of them completely know everything that's happening underneath? I think a lot of the CodeNighter developers were very happy using CodeNighter because they had a very simple interface and they could just get on with doing stuff. And that was that was the point um and then if if there's loads of complex stuff hidden underneath and i know a lot of i, I know a couple of developers who have been using the codeniter framework for a while who also use symphony um and they they use codeniter for simple projects where they have to uh they have a again let's not say let's not say simple let's just say they're handing it off to a team that may well be junior level they may well be be fairly new php developers right if they have to build a project build an entire application and it's going to be handed off to people that do not necessarily understand the the intricacies of of uh, php namespaces or they don't understand dependency injection or they don't need to worry about that shit if if you're handing off a project to a very low level team you don't want them to have to learn all that stuff uh, whereas you yourself may well be a very skilled developer who may well understand how a lot of the symphony stuff works so instead of using one or the other, if you can use Laravel so that you're, uh, if you can use a framework that has a facade, right? So you can give that simple interface and that simple code to these junior developers, whilst at the same time using some of the powerful core components that those other guys won't necessarily understand, then you literally have the, the best of both frameworks put into one place and you can, you can build some pretty cool stuff. Yeah, exactly. That's uh, exactly what I was shooting for with Laravel 4. So that's Laravel covered, uh, and that's, uh, again, Composer is awesome. I cannot say this often enough until everybody is using it. I can't, <laughs> cannot explain how useful, uh, you know, PSR and the PHP FIG and Composer and those projects, those are doing amazing things for the PHP community. But one other thing that I really want to see in the PHP community that I've been screaming about for a while is Heroku-style platform-as-a-service hosting, right? Um, a year ago, I was going, yeah, Pagoda Box, Pagoda Box are awesome. Or like before that, I was saying, yeah, PHP Fog, PHP Fog are awesome. And I've had I've had both of those guys um, sponsoring Codenight conferences before, and I I know both the teams very well, and they're both very nice people. Um, but it's it came to my attention this morning that not all of those projects are necessarily as awesome or as ready for mass uptake as I would have hoped this time last year. Um, I don't know if you saw my tweeting rampage about just 
Pagoda Box going down and breaking like two of my websites in the last two days is so so bad. Like I, <laughs> I, I about about one o'clock in the morning, I had a tweet from someone in in Australia going, "Dude, your site's down," and I was like, "Well, I'm sure it'll be fine soon. I don't care." And I woke up six or seven hours later, and it was still down. And I was oh, for fuck's sake, I was gonna go climb a mountain, and now I have to sit here and fix my website. This is bullshit. Um, and that was that was using Pagoda Box, and I and I love them. I love their features. Like their features are everything I want from a platform as a service, Heroku style, um, you know, Heroku style hosting provider. But it just it just doesn't work. It doesn't stay online long enough for me to actually say, yeah, look at this. Because as soon as I say, yeah, look at this. I point them to my website, and my website ain't there anymore. <laughs> have you have you had this problem at all, Ben? Are you using any sort of past stuff? Yeah, I've used uh, PHP Fog or App Fog, Pagoda Box. I've uh, used Heroku, of course, and uh, Orchestra. The problem with most of the PHP solutions yeah. I've found is that it's just uptime. So you can have as nice of the interfaces you want. You can have automated deployments. But what good is all that if your website's down? Yeah, I mean, we have um, we have a, a acquaintance in common, um, you know, Shailen Forshaw, uh, who's been developing. Uh, we did the the Bus Live London app together, so we made an iPhone application, and the Pagoda Box was the back end. Um, one month, like the month that that app, iPhone application launched, we were hitting about ninety four percent uptime. <laughs> you know, that's not great. Most hosting applications will offer you ninety nine point nine, but that was about that was about a year ago, let's say. And um, and things change in a year, um, but even recently, like I've had a couple of months. Like I've got Pingdom running, and I've I've been hitting ninety eight point two percent uptime a month. I mean that's better than ninety four. Shit, but it's it's not ninety nine point nine. Definitely not. Yeah, and it's not it's not cheap. No, it's not. Um, one thing yeah. I have been using lately is Elastic Beanstalk on AWS. And it has been extremely reliable in my experience so far. How much is that costing you for your personal sites every month? Well, it was running around $20 a month for a basic small site. But they just made a change to RDS. And now micro instances on RDS are free. So most of my sites now are pretty much free. Oh, wow. Because for me, I was looking into the prices. I mean, I guess the the I use AWS a lot for for the for the jobs I do professionally and for my personal stuff. Um, and the one thing that does scare me a bit is that it never upfront says right now your bill is X a month. It just says, hey, so you're gonna you're gonna want to use one of these instances, and these instances are roughly this much in your area. And then at the end of the month, you get a bill saying, you owe us 600 bucks. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's one thing that's really shitty about AWS is there's not a good way to estimate how much you want to spend per month. But it's, it's good to hear that Beanstalk is that cheap. I didn't know that. I was looking at the prices for Beanstalk, and it was looking about, like, by the time I had a basic RDS and an EC2 and a load balancer and Elastic OP, it was looking about $100 a month. And that's more than I want to pay for my blog or for some crap like 10 page brochure where client site that I've knocked out using pyro I don't want to pay a hundred bucks a month just for the benefit of being able to get push code up when I should be able to use a pass like pagoda box or or app fog for the for, for about 30 40 bucks which is what they advertise or even free I mean you know some of these some of these pass uh, systems offer a free tier that 
most websites won't get out of. Um, like if, if you're getting 30 hits a day or 100 hits a day, there's no need for you to leave the 200 meg instance that Box offer. So there's no need for you to ever pay any money for that. And you still have the, autumn, the awesome pushability and, you know, the, the whole ability to auto scale when you need to. Um, there's, there's no need to, to pay for it. And even if you do have to pay for it, it's like 25, 30 bucks. And then going to going to Beanstalk just seems like quite a quite a jump up from that. Oh yeah, it definitely can be. Um, one thing to remember though is you can always go to your control panel and see what your current usage is, what it's looking like, and see what your current total is. True. I mean, what happens when you run out of your free tier? I mean, I guess you're you're still in the free tier, which is why it's free. <laughs> yeah, I, you just go on there and you're like, oh shit, I guess I'm not going to be able to pay rent this month. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. <laughs> Sell the car. Sorry, wife, you can't have those earrings. <laughs> <laughs> yep, looks like we're having ramen for dinner every night this month. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not that expensive, but generally, well, that said, generally, when I use AWS, it's with the boss's credit card, you know? Um, I'm currently um, I'm currently working on my super top secret project, blah, 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 that, that somebody else is paying for. And we, we've got a setup where we have uh, six different servers. Um, some of them are small, medium, and large. Um, we've got we've got Chef set up to deploy the code, which is a a uh, the hosted ops code option, and that costs us like fifty bucks a month. And we've got um, yeah, we've got an RDS panel that's costing us a uh, hundred dollars a month, and we've got we've got a, a C1 medium and a and a, a S small and a you know all these different all these different instances. The the AWS setup is probably costing us about six hundred bucks a month, and that's that's fine. I mean that sort of setup is absolutely fine because you need that that fine-grained custom controllability when you're working on something fairly big. I mean, this is going to be the ass end of, a, of an iPhone application that when it launches in a week or two, it's probably going to get ten, like 100,000 people looking at it in the first week or two. We need that level of control. But when I'm knocking out sites, I don't want to set up Chef. I don't want to arse around with EC2 instances. I just want a really simple pass that I can go on there, type in my domain name, and then it will give me a Git repo, and I can just say Git push to that repo, and then suddenly my site's live. I don't want to fucking set up an EC2 micro instance and have to install LAMP and then make sure that I've remembered to enable HD access and then permission the folders manually and then set up some sort of Capistrano deployment application. That shit is so boring to me. And it, it, it just winds me up that there are so many of these uh, platform as a service companies that are doing like 95% of everything that I want them to do but they haven't quite done that last five percent yet, and they just and even the ones that do, even the one that does everything I want it to do doesn't stay up long enough for me to even enjoy using it. It's, it's just so annoying. Yeah, it really is. And I mean, Heroku's been doing this forever. <laughs> I know. Just just do what they do. They have great uptime. Service is great. Why can't PHP services just be like Heroku? Well, no, see, that pisses me off in itself. I mean, um, Heroku have, um, they've spent the last year, they've rolled out, um, this time last year or maybe two years ago, they were just Ruby, right? And then since then, they've rolled out Java, Python. Node. I mean, they, they support Erlang. They support everything in the world. When you look at PHP, they only support Heroku for Facebook, right? And and you can, you can run WordPress on there. There's, there's a blog article I saw about running Symphony 2 on there. I'm pretty sure I could run 
piracy MS on there if I spent a day or two giving it a try. But it just feels like I'm I'm getting my crowbar out and I'm and I'm jimmying it in there and just just you know just raping their platform to try and get my code on there. And I don't want to have to force my code into a platform that doesn't necessarily want it. I just want Heroku to turn around and say, "Oh yeah, we support PHP. Cool." Yeah, I mean, if Heroku did PHP, everyone would move to Heroku for PHP hosting. Oh yeah, yeah, they would. They know what's up with Pass. Definitely. I mean, PHP Fog, when they first came out, they said, we are Heroku for PHP. And if Heroku turned around and go, yeah, we do PHP, they'd nail it. <laughs> but they're just not, for some reason. I don't quite understand why that is. Yeah, and you know they could do it. They just don't want to because it's PHP and they're the cool Ruby guys, I guess. <laughs> Everyone hates PHP. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Taylor? Do you have any experience with any PHP hosting services? Uh, I've messed around with both PHP Fog and Pagoda Box, and <clears throat> I agree with Phil. You know, Pagoda Box looks awesome, uh, but I mean, a lot of times I have problems even getting a site up on it or, or whatever. But the ability to specify all the extensions is really cool. Yeah. And uh, PHP Fog seems nice, you know, for something simple if you don't need a lot of customization. But at work, we're just using, you know, a standard traditional managed server setup and we use a beanstalk to do our deployments so we can do you know git push for our code but yeah we just i don't know i don't know what's up i, I wish there was an awesome heroku uh for php but i, I haven't found it yet either if pagoda box can get their act together then definitely i would use pagoda box uh the when you mentioned beanstalk there is that beanstalk or is that amazon beanstalk uh, beanstalkapp.com. Okay, uh, that's fairly similar to um, the 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 main alternative to that is uh, Codebase HQ and Deploy HQ. Right. Um, and I get that recommended to me every day. Like when I like today while I was making my big old rants on Twitter about you know oh, why can't I find something that can host my code and deploy it easily, everyone just goes oh yeah you should use Deploy HQ and and uh, A Tech Media who do that are a really good company. They're full of very smart people and they're British, which is awesome. But Deploy HQ is one thing that scares me and I'm fairly sure I'll have the same worries about Beanstalk if I ever tried it. Um, and with Deploy HQ, the, the one issue I have is that you have the two main methods of deployment, right? You can deploy via FTP or you can deploy via SSH. Um, and when you do either of those, I mean, let's go with SSH first. If you deploy via SSH and you've had 2000 files changed you've you know you've renamed a massive folder or you've you've just completely upgraded this massive push to your system that's changed a lot of files there's always going to be some downtime if it's 5 seconds of downtime depending on your traffic that could be an age right if you yeah. if you say if you click deploy and then it has to update a thousand files there's going to be a couple of people that hit your website and you just see like fatal errors or page not here or you know fucking syntax errors or something going wrong yeah and that that scares me. Um, and the other issue is, is if you're not using SSH, it's, I always, in my life, like to pretend that FTP doesn't exist. You can get by. You can get by without ever using FTP in your life. Um, but about a year ago, I was using FTP deployment via DeployHQ. Um, and I think I renamed the system folder of CodeIgniter. And doing that changed, like... 300 files or however many files are in Cody Lighter and I hit deploy and it went through the through the um, 
you can you, you can do a, like a, a fake run. You can do a trial run of what's going to deploy, and it will say, "Oh yeah, I'm going to deploy these files. I won't deploy those files, right?" And um, and it did that, and it was absolutely fine. Uh, and then when I said, "Okay, go deploy those files," it said, "Okay, I'm going to I'm going to try and deploy these 1,000 files." And it made so many connections to my server via FTP that it crashed the server. So my my live website went down because Deploy HQ basically uh, DDoSed my server. Yeah, it, it just it just went bang. Here's a thousand connections. Ah, <laughs> and my live server went down, and I was like, "Fuck, my server's down." So I restarted it, and then as far as Deploy HQ was concerned, it had deployed the code because it hadn't received any. I, I, I don't know why. It just thought it had deployed the code, uh, so it refused to deploy it again. So I had a live server that had been down for five minutes with half deployed code. I then had to delete all of the code and uh, take like, I think I did a git clone or like just FTP'd up a, a chunk myself. But I had to I had to manually step in to intervene because Deploy HQ had got so confused with this whole process after breaking my website that I had to manually replace it all. And those sort of deployment systems just scare the shit out of me. After that, I will not touch them. And I'm, I'm, I don't know if Beanstalk is exactly the same, but uh, I'm pretty sure it's using the same sort of technology. And that worries me. Yeah. Uh, another thing I'd like to see from PHP platform as a service providers is a uh kind of embracing some of the new stuff in the PHP community like Composer. And I think Fort Rabbit is trying to do this. They have that, uh, you know, I don't know, to trigger Composer, you put in your git commit message to make it pull down your Composer dependencies after it deploys. But stuff like that would be awesome too. And I, I haven't really seen any of the uh, live PHP platform as a service providers uh, do any of that stuff. Uh, Pagoda Box will do that. You have in your box file, you can, they have, uh, event triggers okay uh, or hooks i think they call it so you can say kind of before deploy after deploy before various different things and you have various stages through the deploy steps where you can kind of hook in and run any command line scripts you want um so what we've done with pyro before is you can you can tell it just after the files have been deployed but before the network is pointed at the instance it's just created for you you can say go through all of my CSS and JavaScript files, minimize them, crunch them down, and combine them into one file, and then just serve that one file up instead of serving all of them. Yeah. So so PagodaBox is awesome. It just, they have to be smart people over there. It's just... It just doesn't stay up. <laughs> That's the thing. I mean, I don't know if it's because they, they haven't quite got the money. Uh, I've already mentioned that AppFog, they got a $9.8 million investment. And that's around the same time they pivoted from just being PHP fog to being app fog, uh, and that's when that's when they went from being pretty cool to fucking awesome. Yeah. I mean, app fog will 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 serve up Node.js, it will serve up Java, Erlang, PHP, Python, you name it, it does it. Apart from shared writable directories, and they are like the crux of what is important for hosting generic php applications i'm not saying that app fog is currently useless because it doesn't serve it if you build an application knowing that it has to go on app fog then you can use redis you can use uh, like what things do you use uh, writable folders for it's for for cache and, and for logs and for, for image uploads right yeah and in, in the laravel world if you're using blade you know you need your uh, view caches exactly yeah you, it's just gen generic caching of files i mean pyro cms uh, also does uh, CSS caching, right? So 
when you're in production environment, it will go through all of the CSS files that you include, it will combine them into one file, it will squish out the crap and get rid of the comments and serve you one really optimized uh, file. That's not using the Pagoda Box stuff I was talking about earlier, that's just a, a built-in feature since then. Um, and that will, of course, need to write to the to to the file structure somewhere because it has to put that compressed file somewhere. And if you do that on AppFog, it can't do it because there's literally nowhere on AppFog that you can write to in the file system. It just can't accept writes. You have to upload it to S3 and then serve all of your <laughs> CSS and serve all of your logs and your your cache files from S3. Um, the other suggestion that people have have said to me since this morning's rants are. Um, Oh yeah, you can use Redis to store all your logs. I'm like, yeah, I, if I know that it's going on AppFog, I can build my entire application to send its logs to Redis or Mongo or somewhere else. But what if I want to shove WordPress on there? I, I I wouldn't. But what if somebody wants to put WordPress on there? You know, they have to. They they can't because it it needs to write files somewhere. Yeah, that was a big problem I had last time when I tried to use Orchestra. Um, you know, they had a very good system in place. But you can't use writable directories, and really, how many apps can you install without using a writable directory? They do. I was chatting to the founder of it earlier after my rant article, and they have an add-on that will map a local file, a local directory to an S3 server somewhere. That's a $2 a month add-on that I haven't played with yet. I literally saw it about an hour ago, and it looks quite cool, so that might help. Um... But yeah, I haven't played with it, so I can't say. Okay, cool. Who was that? Uh, that was Eamon Leonard, the, the founder of, uh, of Orchestra. Uh, he, he hit me up on Skype and, and was just saying, uh, we do actually have that feature. I was like, oh shit, sorry. <laughs> so I might have to amend my article. Um, but I haven't played with it, so I can't say how well it works, but they do seem to have a solution so you can mount file structures to S3, which sounds quite cool, so that could work. Okay, cool. I'll definitely want to check that out again. It's been a few months since I've looked at Orchestra, so they've probably added new features and expanded since the last time I looked at it. But the main issue for me with Orchestra is it looks awesome, and they have amazing support. I mean, Engine Yard, if you listen to any podcast in the PHP community, you cannot go without noticing that, that Engine Yard have a presence in the PHP community. Um, but, but Orchestra, it, it needs a little love. I mean, while they have a, uh, they have a very simple product, and I like that they have a simple product. Um, how do you add extra PHP extensions? How do you change PHP any settings? How do you do anything? Like, the only setting you have real control over is which SSH key would you like to use, where is your Git repository, and where is the current index.php file? That's... That's the extent of it. Yeah, it was pretty bare bones last time I checked it out. But on that note, Engine Yard is amazing, and you should all check them out. <laughs> We're not going to get sponsored by Engine Yard, you know that, right? Well, I figure it's worth a shot, especially after we talk about how fucking awesome they are. <laughs> well, the funny part is, if you listen to the Dev Hell podcast, they rip on it every time and then say, oh yeah, but thanks to Katie from Engine Yard for giving us loads of money. And then they'll go, actually, PHP sucks. We should all just use Python for everything. <laughs> awesome. Cool. Well, I guess that's all the time we have for today. Um, but we'll be back uh, next month with a new surprise guest. And um, uh, thanks for listening, guys. Thanks, everyone. And definitely want to thank Taylor for spending some time with us today and listening to us ramble. Yeah, thanks for having me. I, I enjoyed it. And a big thank you to Engine Yard. 